0: Welcome in to episode number 139 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast, just after Thanksgiving weekend. Hopefully you all had a safe and happy and wonderful Thanksgiving holiday in 2022. My name is Noah Grant, joined alongside by Nick Maxson, who is, I was going to say out of the country, but then you're, you are, but like, not by much, I guess. Technically, no. Yeah, it's, it's Yeah by jurisdiction um but anyway he's in puerto rico in case anyone's curious we'll touch on that obviously the main portion of the show as he is on vacation um other teams though not on vacation besides our men's hockey team who of course was off this last week they're back in action against north dakota this week we'll touch on them and everything coming up in the nchc otherwise around ncaa men's hockey world we'll certainly take a look at the pairwise and really take a look at a mini deep dive into some of the other conferences and see if there's anything interesting going on Keynote, there is. Um, There's been a lot of craziness going on. Uh, Again, I mean, we've talked so much to people who have just said, we don't even know who's good this year because so many teams have beaten each other uh, at every echelon and every ranking in the standings, essentially. So uh, excited to touch on that. Minnesota Wild will recap their latest week, including the Marco Rossi move, some guy by the name of Ryan Reeves, and then uh, some net moorings not staying put in a game against Toronto that certainly caused the ire of some. And then the extra ice session, uh, Logan Cooley inspired, although a lot of people have already jumped in on this this year already. The Michigan, the lacrosse style goal, whatever you want to call it, it's becoming routine and we love it here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. And we're going to deep dive into that as always. And we start with Center ICU News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup center ice view news and notes center ice view provides you with the best coverage of st cloud state huskies hockey from game notes recaps photos and more go to centericeview.com
1: center ice view news and notes noah and shall we say this was a week of milestones uh, particular uh you could say some big ones right so uh first one lindy ruff gets his 800th win as an nhl head coach uh this came as the devils beat the washington capitals uh Speaking of milestones, Noah, 13-game uh, winning streak earlier by the Devils. This Devils team is pretty good. Um, yeah, the got, Boston, Go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just going to
0: say got snapped in that game where they had three disallowed goals uh, against the Toronto Maple Leafs. So uh certainly stinks to see that come to an end. But the uh, New Jersey Devils train is
1: certainly, certainly rolling. Yeah, very much so. Uh, a train that I think a lot of folks thought would be rolling a lot quicker than it has, uh, but it finally looks like it's gotten – um, shall we say rolling with nothing ready to stop it. Um, speaking of trains not really wet, uh, ready to stop, up at another Eastern Conference team? The Boston Bruins um, set an NHL record 12 straight home wins to start the season. They did it against Carolina again on Friday. Uh, so kind of cool. Yeah. I, I don't. I mean, it's Boston. Great, so great, Yeah, great on the ice, not so great off of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about that so um speaking of great on the ice though a kill he's pretty good on the ice huh? he became the fastest defenseman ever to record 200 points um in 195 games he accomplished that so I don't, i'm no mathematician but that's better than a point a game yeah um he did this 12 games faster than the previous record holder that was someone i grew up watching with a Dallas Stars, Sergei Zuboff, who did it in 207 games. Um, Ryan Leach, who was also another All-American defenseman, he did it in 211. So I uh, talk about uh, skill sets at the defenseman level, offensively, uh, the mark has been set now by Kale McCarr yeah um what a great hockey player you know and
0: you think about the great defenseman in history right because bobby orr is tied for like fifth on that list at i think 216 or something like that there's a bunch of guys between 211 and 220 that are all in the top 10 in that mix and you know not to say obviously Kyle mccarr a very good hockey player but some of these names that pop up on this list are not guys that you think of as household names for guys who you know were Shoe-ins for first ballot Hall of Famers, guys that were franchise icons, so to speak, right? I mean, Kale McCarr isn't even the franchise icon in Colorado right now. You know, Sergey Zubov really wasn't. He was a great defenseman. Brian Leach certainly wasn't, you know, but you think of a guy like Nick Lidstrom, right? Nick Lidstrom doesn't even crack the top 10 in this. So, You talk about consistency in your game as well, too. Being a great defenseman point production-wise certainly takes a good team around you, but also a little bit of, you know, in your first 200 games, being able to, or 200 points, I should say, being able to feel confident in an NHL sweater quickly, and that can mean the difference in those first 10 to 15 games for you to put some points together and certainly some interesting names if you get a chance to go check out the list.
1: Certainly will be. Uh, speaking of interesting names, Noah, how about uh, Carolina signing a netminder, uh, Piotr Kochekov um year extension two million dollars a season um he was the 36th pick overall in 2019 has a 914 save percentage that's quite the name uh i don't know if it's going to be a household name and shall we say carolina has had its fair share of shall we say interesting goaltending management yeah. situations yeah, well,
0: you think that's an interesting name you should look up what his nickname is um <laughs> but uh you know it's it's kind of crazy carolina has uh Certainly had a great start to the season. They're certainly a team to watch in the Eastern Conference. But uh, their net mining situation has always kind of been in flux a little bit ever since the the departure slash slight downfall of Cam Ward at the end of that era. They really haven't had a mm-hmm. net miner besides Freddie Anderson last year who finally kind of brought them back to resurgence. Now they're missing him, obviously, with certain key injuries. So um, this Carolina team, as long as they get goaltending, the rest of the play in front of their net has certainly taken care of itself. Certainly
1: has. Um, speaking of taking care of business, yes, for the old folks <laughs> who like that um, old school song. I that that's the Doobie Brothers. Yes. so um, More than 20 that- groups. Yeah. Doobie Brothers. Yes. Um, have expressed interest in buying the Ottawa Senators. Uh, this is a good thing. Uh, yeah. I know that we've talked about some flashy names such as um, Canadian actor Ryan Reynolds who already co-owns Welsh football. Um, and also, uh, excuse me, it's with Rob McElhaney, and that club is Wrexham AFC. Now, here's where it gets interesting. That name has been out for a couple of weeks, but apparently some billionaires, uh, such as the likes of Michael Andlauer and Rocco Tulio, uh, these guys um, own OHL's Hamilton Bulldogs and Oshawa Generals. Uh, these are some of the newer names that have come forward, some guys with deeper pockets. Now, mind you, Reynolds jokingly said I believe it was on um, late night with um, what's his face Stephen Colbert that he would need deep pockets uh, someone with that to help him purchase the team so good to see that there is a interest um, in the NHL franchise and especially in I don't know if you want to call it a financial hotbed Um, you know Noah so good to see that at least there's interest there and it sounds like at some point one of these groups is going to end up having um, signing the paperwork to take over ownership.
0: Yeah, going to be curious who it would be. Maybe it is the former singer taking care of business, the Bachman Turner Overdrive. And uh, you know, it, it's interesting that uh, there is so much interest in a team like Ottawa because really their arena location and all the things that have gone on with them have. It kind of made some people a little bit apprehensive about the way the Sens are, and certainly they've had a really poor start to the season after uh, a year that we thought, at least on paper, they were going to turn things around. They really have struggled. Um, Some people point Mm -hmm. to D.J. Smith and removing him, the players, say, no, it's just us not playing well. Some people think it's not D.J. Smith, but it's time to fire him for a change anyway. I don't really know. The Sens are in a really weird spot. They kind of remind me a little bit of where the New Jersey Devils were in the past couple of years, where they were expected to be better on paper at least, and they just for whatever reason with injuries and coaching and goaltending and whatever mix it was that year just couldn't quite find any traction. Um, very curious to see if a new ownership group uh, might solve any of that. It's uh, It's been weird uh, to, to put it lightly. Um, how about we stay up in Canada though? Um, this one, of course, uh, dropping this past week.
1: Yeah. What do you how got? About, how about this? You know, uh, you know, another NHL team in Ontario wouldn't know anything about terrible ownership, right? <laughs> in, yeah. in their history, right? Yeah. So, Harold so, Ballard. Does that name still like give people the, you know, the Jeepers and the critter crawlers at the back?
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think if you're a Minnesota fan, I think you, you're too tied up with the North star stuff to pay attention to anything else. I mean, it's, (laughs) you know, that talk about ownership, uh, struggles to say the least uh, on that side of things as well too. But yeah, hockey um, has had its fair share, although uh, the most difficult ownership group doesn't even belong to Ottawa. It belongs to a team that uh, plays in a college hockey rink as a national hockey league team this season. I, but let's move, to a team that is valued much higher than the aforementioned Arizona Coyotes, the Toronto Maple Leafs. This dropping last week, Legend Biore Salming died at age 71, just a couple weeks after his ceremony um, at uh, the Air Canada Center um, or Scotiabank, whatever it is now, uh, up there in Toronto from complications with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. Um, And I thought this was really interesting. Daryl Sittler, of course, former teammate uh, of Salming, was extremely emotional um, during that uh, salute to Biore and uh he kind of reflected uh this past week on that and he said he's at peace now. If it had to be you couldn't have scripted his last days better spending time with me, Tiger Williams, Landy McDonald, Jim McKenny, all the Hall of Fame Swedes. What made us feel good was his wife saying that since his diagnosis she'd not seen him happier. Um, of course he's the all-time Leafs leader and assist at 620 and fourth in points at 768 third in games played at just under 1,100. His number 21 was raised to the rafters in 2006, officially retired in 2016. And of course, he's also got a statue outside the arena with some of the Leafs greats as well too. I mean, you and I talked about the ceremony and how emotional that was. And you can see that he was really worked up I mean, what a loss for the game of hockey and the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, as a franchise to have one of the legendary Swedes who paved the way for a lot of European players to come into the National Hockey League, um, pass away. It's just, uh, it's tough, but you bring some comfort and solace in the fact that he was around some really great people uh, near the end.
1: He was, and you know, you you talk about sometimes, Noah, you know, sometimes life has these sort of really, odd ways of timing yeah and and uh, you know it's to set the table we talked about this previously that boy know alboria yes, Salming came into the nhl and even the fans at the time even though he was so good because he was a european player he was sort of ostracized he was not really welcomed by the north american players the fans and for him to get that moment two weeks ago, where he got that love and affection that he really truly deserved for all that he did for the Maple Leafs, for the game of hockey, as you mentioned, for the European players that have now come over and there are, you know, just as much welcome as anybody else. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, almost think in a human way, you know, did he need that moment? I almost kind of feel like he did. Yeah. Uh, he absolutely deserved that moment. And, you know, it's just, you know, what, again, less than two weeks later, um, he succumbs to ALS. again. a very, a very terrible disease. It's, It's tough, but, um, you know, again, it's just one of those deals where, uh, he kept his health. He kept his head high. He, um, was always in a positive mood and just unfortunate that it, happened so quickly yeah. thereafter. You
0: know, you talk about closure, right? And, you know, everyone is looking for that, right? The, the the storybook ending, so to speak, even in situations like this. And I think that ceremony was something that really gave us that, really gave Leafs Nation a way to pay their respect, but also let the Solomon family know that he wasn't forgotten in that organization, and he wasn't alone in that fight, regardless of how long, you know, he had left at that particular moment. Um, and you talk about you know him not originally being accepted and then you go a couple years later to the all-star game and he got the biggest standing ovation of any player on the ice you know and, mm-hmm. and hockey fans really started to embrace him uh in the late 70s and early 80s so certainly a big loss for the hockey community one that will be felt for a long time but a player that certainly will be remembered throughout history as a hall of famer uh moving on over to our second and last topic here trades and transactions we'll talk about this one in the main portion of the show but we'll lay it out of course for you ryan reeves heading to minnesota for 2025 fifth round pick. Um, like we said, we'll talk about that in the main portion of the show. Toronto Maple Leafs acquiring defenseman Connor Timmins from the Arizona Coyotes in exchange for minor league forward Curtis Douglas. Timmins is 24, seven assists in 41 career NHL games across four seasons. This, of course, is to bolster their defensive roster um, for an injury that we'll get to in just a few moments. And then Shane Wright, we talked about this a couple weeks ago on our show, sent to the AHL on conditioning loan. He can be there for 14 days under the terms of the loan because Kraken head coach Dave Hacksgall scratched him for five straight games, triggering the rule that allows the one-time loan despite the fact that he's only 18. And then Seattle's expected to release him to Canada's World Junior Squad next month to get him some seasoning. So they're kind of playing the system a little bit. Um, But it's a really weird thing because if you played in the CHL in any sort of process there even if you played a single game you go back to the chl until you're ahl eligible when you've aged out but if you played overseas like for example where austin matthews did you could go directly back overseas and play overseas so it's the nhl kind of has a weird stipulation where it doesn't really favor guys like this who maybe need that ahl seasoning um he's right. going to get it a little bit but uh the saga continues
1: <laughs> it does and we talked about this at length I? and we we kind of shall we say, had conflicting, you know, thoughts about it. I, I think one thing that this conditioning loan has proved, because he's already scored a few goals. Um, yeah. I, I think certainly he's shown that he is, you know, quite over-skilled for the CHL. Um, yeah. It's it's certainly one of the questions is going to be where, is this a confidence thing with him? Are there certain, you know, facets of the game that they really want him to be better at? Um, because you talked about, we talked about ice time with this uh, more as like the main sort of, you know, uh, argument point. And we had some, you know, differentiating opinions. I'm still on the fence of what Seattle's doing, um, (laughs) because it certainly has been at least reported that it does not seem to be what I originally thought, which is maybe there was an immaturity issue, maybe um, shall we, you know, shall we say maybe an attitude issue? Um, it does not seem to be that way with him now. Um, mind you that that could be just covered for the kid, but, uh, but I think the answer is still out there, right? Whereas yeah. you, you send him to the, the juniors, he's got to come back. You've already used your one-time AHL conditioning loan. So what is the long-term uh, approach here by Seattle. Yeah. Because effectively running out of options to sort of delay the process if if you know what I mean
0: yeah and there and uh you know there's no doubt he can play hockey the other thing that we didn't really anticipate is Seattle is much better this year than I think we had expected so yeah. they certainly are kind of in the mix which definitely changes things as well we'll definitely keep an eye on that have to see how he does uh for team Canada injury wise heading back over Toronto the Maple Leafs of course because of their move with Connor Timmins uh due to Morgan Riley now on long-term injured reserve with a knee injury they've had a decimated defensive core once again in this season. Then the only other one, Bruins netminder Linus Olmark was out with an arm injury. He just got cleared earlier today on Monday, but it sounds like he's not at 100%. and welcome into the main portion of the show nick max and joining myself noah grant nick welcome in from uh down over yonder so to speak in puerto rico on vacation uh how has the vacation been it certainly looks like the beaches have been warm and it's been about 20 to 25 degrees in america's wasteland so i'm going to assume the <laughs> the fahrenheit
1: scale is a little bit better uh, where you're at i'm assuming if i think if you convert it to you know degrees centigrade it's about even yeah, uh, But, uh, so it, it's been a little bit of beach, but today it was a lot of hiking, miles of hiking. We actually went to, uh, one of the, actually the only tropical rainforest that's in the United States, uh, had some fun there hiking up, um, quite high, actually, um, took some video, took some pictures, uh, and definitely deserved the beer after that yeah. four hours of hiking. There's no question about it. And there was steep inclines too. So, yeah. um, yeah still have a few days left um there's some definitely other items that we have planned so uh but it's been good um 85 degrees and sunny and a lot of green has been nice to see
0: yeah certainly uh it's not quite snowy here in america's wasteland but certainly the wind is starting to pick up although it was mid 50s all weekend last weekend which is very uncharacteristic of things and all that jazz um for those who don't know, of course, Nick, uh, in his new job with North Iowa um, in the NAHL uh, I myself was a little bit busy this weekend. You'll probably get to see it by the end of the week is what I was told, is that I was actually on the ice with the team. They were doing an all-star skills competition, and then I was doing GoPro footage during the three-on-three and certainly just basically buzzing up and down the ice for 40 minutes, and my legs thanked me um, very much not so the next day when I woke up yesterday. So certainly was a lot of fun. So a lot of things going on here. One thing I probably can tell you, um, at least as far as I know, is I think we should be back to normal at least for next week or somewhere around there, I think. Um, I think we should be closer to a Sunday release uh, again next week, um, if not a little bit later on Sunday, but I think we might be be there. Um, if that changes, we'll let you know. Of course, as always, at Warming House Den on Twitter. Uh, Big Ten news here. Moving to the NCAA. A uh, couple of Big Ten non-conference games that we'll throw in there, and then a couple of Big Ten opponents that played NCHC um, or independent opponents. So we'll, they're kind of scattered throughout. So bear with us as we go through that. Let's start with Notre Dame. Uh, their single matchup on Wednesday against Boston University, and the Terriers handily taking this one by a score of five to two. Uh, Notre Dame not able to get a victory there and then alaska fairbanks penn state a lot tighter than i think a lot of people expected on tuesday and wednesday penn state both one goal victories three to two on tuesday two to one on wednesday um this fairbanks team has kind of interrupted people and given them some fits i don't think that they're Mm -hmm. a particularly strong hockey team but as we've kind of alluded to it's kind of hard to tell who's really really good this year in college hockey there's you can maybe name about four teams maybe five that you would throw in there and then after that it's kind of been a free-for-all for you know spots uh six through 20 so to say
1: i would even go 25 yeah uh honestly um it certainly isn't a season that we normally you know view noah which is you have teams that separate themselves, especially around the Thanksgiving holiday, for sure, before the bigger holiday break, the midseason break. Yeah. We just don't have that this year. Um, I think we have at the top, you have Minnesota, which I think is in the elite tier. I think St. Cloud State is in the elite tier. And I'm not saying that because I'm just a St. Cloud State. I truly believe that they're that good and they're that balanced. Yeah. Um, and Michigan. Maybe- michigan is maybe there just yeah. because of their talent um, th- when they can I, actually put up everybody on the ice
0: yeah i think the only three teams right now are um minnesota st cloud and denver are the only three yeah. that i can i can look was, at yep. maybe even penn state a little bit although they had uh, kind of an interesting week uh the week before but um, you mentioned Michigan, by the way. Why don't we jump over to a, a conference we don't talk about very much, the ACAC, uh, the Michigan yeah. Wolverines, uh, played host to Harvard, who, of course, is leading or uh, second, I believe, in the ECAC by a single point, one point behind Quinnipiac. Um, a 4-4 overtime tie the first night before Michigan, a 4-1 to victory uh, in night number two. And if you thought that wasn't hairy enough, this UConn Huskies team that we said was very good and still is very good in the top That's ten of the country – absolutely walk six nothing by cornell um who of course was swept by minnesota duluth a couple weeks ago so mm-hmm. did i mention this is confusing it's
1: i don't even know anymore. it's i don't know if it's confusing it's more of just like you know everybody's trying to figure out who the heck everybody is you know yeah. um because there are weeks where these teams you talking about uconn michigan harvard Fairbanks, Penn State, where they show us signs that they are an upper echelon team. And then the next weekend, they take a weekend off, for lack of a better phrase. And then they make us question who this team is. It's a seesaw. And it's it's just hard to get a read in a lot of teams right now.
0: You know, and I think this is the maybe the first time in a while, at least, maybe even ever, where we can almost somewhat definitively say that parity is finally inked its way into all corners of the country when it comes to college yes. hockey um and it's been very very exciting to see uh ccha 2.0 Mankato traveling to michigan tech michigan tech a three to two victory in night number one and then a two to two overtime finish in night number two people called this an upset nick and uh. i mean we've looked at this at the pairwise and they were even the last couple of years this michigan tech team is a good hockey team and they have been for the past couple of years where their program has been on the, either the outside looking in on the bubble or they've been just inside that bubble this year, I think this team could make a case to maybe potentially slip in that 10-9-8 spot in the pairwise if they continue to roll. Are they that good? I don't know. But I certainly think they're a team that has the potential to maybe win this conference this year. They've
1: had a decent run. I think the bigger takeaway is not how good Michigan Tech is. I think the bigger takeaway is Mankato although we thought this would happen, is certainly not as strong as we've seen them even as early as last yeah. year.
0: Well, we've talked about the goaltending piece too. And I think, you know, I, we listened to Marissa Voss and Alex Micheletti talk about this a lot on MNCAA. Um, you know, Alec keenan Rance there is a sophomore who basically had a couple minutes of coffee last season um, in a single hockey game. And then uh, Alex Tracy, of course, brand new. And they talk about the frustration and they keep saying, oh, this guy's not the guy or, you know, we need to give this other guy a look. Goaltending is going to take time. We talked about this with Colorado College and Caden Emberco and how it's going to take him as a freshman a little bit of time to get up to speed. Let's think about a guy like David Rennick. How long were Huskies fans riding him before he really became the goaltender that we believed him to be, right? Goaltending is a fickle thing. Um, this Mankato team certainly has enough firepower in front of them to still stay pat in that conference. But like you mentioned, they are not the team of yesteryear that went to a national championship game last season. They just aren't. Um, nope. And I think that's fair to say. Lake Superior State swept for the first time ever, the first ever sweep in team history, especially in conference play for the St. Thomas Tommies, a 4 four-to-nothing and 2-1 to one finish. Enrico Blasi was somewhat subdued after this, like it was routine and nonchalant. Uh, Even if he wants to act as even keel as he can be, I think talking to our reporter and Ryan steeg among others, you can tell this is a big deal for this program to finally get this marker checked off and really kind of move on and really build some traction moving into the holiday break.
1: You know, it, it isn't, it isn't in my opinion, honestly, no, yeah. I think it's more relief because again, four yeah. or six that they'd lost. were all by a one goal. And, they either tried or had a lead and lost it, or were tied and had opportunities either in the power play to take a lead. They just kept finding ways to lose games versus trying to find ways to win games. Now, mind you, a four nothing shellacking on Friday helps. Yeah. A much tighter contest on Saturday at two to one. But This is you talk about just trying to get that streak off your back. And finally, I think it's less about the sweep than it is about finding the win column again. The fact that it happened twice in the same weekend. Great. Good for them. I'm Mm. curious to see, like you mentioned, what they do now with the extra confidence. And this is a situation where this team is still learning. I've talked about this before, where before they were trying to find ways to be competitive. Now they're trying to find ways to win and now keep winning, right? Because now uh, teams are going to look at you more seriously. They're going to analyze film. And that's been the big, you know, sort of quagmire with St. Thomas, which is, can they repeat a full 60 minute effort the way that Rico Blasi wants them to play? So, this feels good, yes, but I would be very curious to see how this team continues to play next weekend. That, to me, is going to be the real measuring stick, and no question, in my mind, the measuring stick Rico Blasi is looking for too.
0: Yeah, certainly will be a tough test for them. They travel to Bemidji State next week. I don't think Lake, Superior, Lake Superior has had a really tough season. The Lakers are not good they this do. year, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah,
1: but again, at the same time, these were the teams that – St. Thomas couldn't beat. And if you are looking for some sort of goodness, you're taking care of a team you should take care of. Okay. Yeah. That's a step, right?
0: Yeah, certainly would agree. Hockey East as we move over here. Holy Cross traveled to Merrimack last Tuesday. Um, Merrimack handily winning 5-1. to one. They will have UConn uh, tomorrow, this upcoming uh, Tuesday, from our recording the 29th. So pay attention to that one. See if the Huskies can rebound against Merrimack, who's had a great trend as of late. Um, and then UMass against UMass Lowell. Uh, this was Friday, Saturday. The Friendship Four in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Quinnipiac had Dartmouth and night number one, and then they hashed it out in night number two. UMass beating UMass Lowell 2-1 to in the first night, and Quinnipiac beating Dartmouth by a score of 5-2. to So then UMass Lowell got Dartmouth a 4-3 overtime victory, a much better response for Dartmouth in mm-hmm. night number two. And then UMass and Quinnipiac played to a 2-2 tie on that one. All things considered, boy, if you were in Northern Ireland, you're, you certainly got uh, some good hockey, I would say. And Dartmouth, besides the first night, kind of held their own against three other teams that
1: certainly are probably better than them on paper, shall we say? Yeah, and you kind of wonder too um, with Dartmouth. You know, it's always, shall we say, when you get the film and you're able to identify the game plan against you once you kind of know the tendencies, I think staying pat is a bit easier on Saturday night. Now, mind you, you still have to go out there and execute, and the fact that they were able to you know, get there. Okay. Um, are they up there? No, but are they a team that you can glance over? No. Also, they're going to be at least competitive over there. Well,
0: speaking of competitive Atlantic hockey has certainly had some wildness again this season. AIC did get air force last Sunday in that second half of that matchup. AIC beating air force three to one, but then dropping a single Saturday contest to Maine by a score of five to one. This Maine black bears team has, uh, has given some teams fits again this season, too. Again, there's so many teams that you can peg maybe one, two, or three teams in a given conference that are are kind of the teams to beat. Um, And then you have some middle-of-the-pack teams and maybe spots four and five, but then it's those six and seven spots that are kind of causing issues for some conferences because they're they're sneaking wins or maybe getting a sweep here and there, and it's kind of creating havoc. I think the Maine Black Bears are maybe another one of those teams as well. Independent action you want to talk about playing spoiler here, Nick Long Island university night. Number one, a three to two victory over the Ohio state Buckeyes who are reeling for a variety of things, but uh, notwithstanding losing to long Island OSU did respond with a four to one victory in night. Number two, we'll get back to the Buckeyes in just a few moments. If for those who know, you know, and we'll get back yeah. to that. Um, and the other independent game, the Minnesota golden Gophers splitting down at ASU. I, uh, a 3-2 victory for the Gophers in night number one and a 6-5 overtime finish for, in favor of the Sun Devils in the second night. I don't think the Gophers played particularly well on night number one. Second game was a barn burner. This ASU team, they've had some blips in the row, but again, they're a team that certainly has a chance to maybe sneak into one of those bottom spots uh, come tournament time if they have a good push in the second half. I'm trying to think, um, when is the last time an independent team has made the national tournament. I don't. Alabama Huntsville, maybe. Well, it wasn't Air Force technically oh, I, independent? Oh, back in the mid two thousands. Yeah, I, someone Tore, knows the answer. Or how about recently yeah.
1: SCSU? I mean, yeah, that's that wasn't that long ago.
0: Yeah, but they were WCHA from mid two thousand early two thousands on, so. I thought Alabama. Right, but they're an air
1: opponent, right? Aren't they an independent right now? Weren't they an Ooh. independent back in twenty nineteen Air Force?
0: Well, I don't know if they were or not. Maybe they were. I, I don't. I know. thought
1: they were. I'm pretty sure they were.
0: 2018, You mean? Twenty. Yeah. Eighteen nineteen. Well, 19 tomato,
1: stunned tomato. Yeah. a lot
0: more than 18 did for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but but nonetheless, uh, great showing for Arizona State and the Sun Devils. Uh, not sure who they have. They might be off this upcoming week. Minnesota certainly isn't, though. They'll have Michigan State coming up this week. Michigan travels to Wisconsin. Ohio State traveling to Penn State in the Big Ten. CCHA, four matchups on the docket. Tech traveling to Northern Michigan, who was off last week. Bowling Green playing Lake Superior State. Ferris State traveling to Mankato. And like we mentioned, St. Thomas taking on the Beavers in Bemidji. ECAC, we are paying attention to Harvard and Cornell now because of how good Harvard has been in Cornell, playing spoiler a little bit here. And then at UConn, against Merrimack this upcoming Tuesday, tomorrow. Providence, home and home against Boston College and UMass Lowell and UMass. A single Saturday game, seeing each other once again. They've seen a lot of each other in recent weeks. And then Atlantic Hockey, two matchups here. A Thursday-Friday game, AIC has Bentley, and then Holy Cross travels to Air Force. Nick, good a time as any uh, to bring up the Ohio State factor here. Yeah. Um, This is difficult. So, of course, I... Ohio State recently announced that men's hockey player Camille Sidloka, who, of course, um, I believe he's Polish, but he's lived in Illinois in the United States for most of his life. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, directing multiple racial slurs at Michigan State forward Jagger Joshua, who, of course, his brother Dakota Joshua was a senior when Sidloka was a freshman uh, at Ohio State playing for the Buckeyes and was a very good hockey player at that. Um, You know, and they talked a little bit about how the official finally caught the slurs after about four or five of them tossed uh, the OSU player out of the game. And then the big 10 investigated, but wasn't able to act on that. And I'm (laughs) kind of curious. I'm kind of curious about this. Yeah. You have that reaction. I think a lot of people do. And I was trying to say, is there a way that we can look at this and where the big 10 took no further action? Not because they didn't want to take action, but is there a precedent to be set here where you have an official who sees something or hears, let's say hears something, because this, in this case, it's not a blatant, physical, visible act. You didn't cross-check somebody in the head. You didn't slash them and, you know, whatever. It's something that's verbally said on the ice. Official hears it tosses a player, writes the incident report after the game. For those who don't know, in most hockey leagues, you have to file an incident report. If there's a major penalty, you have to explain why it happened. What happened? Do you think that the big 10 looked and said, we have this testimony from the official, but because we can't visually see what happened, we can't act on this like we would a slash or a cross check because it sets a precedent that says, Oh, the official said, and I'm not saying it's not true because I believe it to be hundred percent true. But in a future case potentially where an official can say, Oh, I heard this quote unquote now. And then the big 10 takes action on something that you can't really verify if that makes sense, even though I believe it to be hundred percent true. But do you think that's where they're coming from or do you think they should have done more?
1: I think that is the framework that they're using to explain the lack of judgment from the conference. Now, you laid it out very well, Noah, which is, you know, first of all, your referee hears something, and let's be honest, referees don't want to toss out players right for something like that unless they know for sure what they heard. Right. So here's my question. If the Big Ten is saying that there's no indisputable evidence, then what the hell was a player getting ejected for? for something that was clearly heard clearly understood enough for him to get ejected from the game at that moment yeah so so that's the question right double-edged sword yeah so is it where is and i think here's the actual argument is the big 10 punting this a way to essentially not be the you know sort of the the golden sword they wanted shall we say the university to handle it. Which um
0: if I may clarify quickly. Actually they did. Um so Ohio Afterwards. State. I, yeah. I mean in the end, um sending of course the player home away from practice and re- not releasing him quote unquote. I don't know if he's officially off the team or is he they just send him home. Um but um Ohio State, actually, um, athletic director Gene Smith, um, after announcing that, did say, quote, I want to offer my sincere and heartfelt apology to Jagger Joshua on behalf of Ohio State. I am so sorry. No student or student athlete should experience hatred or racism, and everyone should feel welcome. Joshua himself, of course, said that he was, quote, confused and pessimistic about the movement of diversity within hockey culture after the lack of moves by the Big Ten, and Smith the director of Ohio State, then said players will soon undergo complete education on racial sensitivity, diversity, equity, inclusion, and the use of respectful dialogue. Now, we've heard that phrase 100 million times in hockey. Mm -hmm. It's it's, It's a step in the right direction, should it be enacted, but certainly I think there's always more to be done here. But as you kind of continued, one, should it fall on the university? Two, did the university handle this appropriately? And three, how do we handle this again? Because how many times have we talked about this issue coming up in hockey? That certainly seems to be circling the wagons
1: and not getting any better. So I think the bigger question is for the big 10, what would quantify as indisputable evidence? I think that is the question that has to be asked because to me, I'll be Frank, it's a bullshit answer. It's completely a bullshit answer. I'm sorry, but the big 10 completely punted on this because they wanted the, um, Ohio State to to kind of handle this Um, because I think and the reality is if the big 10 has to step in then effectively the bigger cry is okay there's more issues with leadership whatever you want to call it within the university right right so uh, I I think no go ahead
0: well I was just gonna ask how do you again and we talked about this like I said I believe Big Ten officials, by and large, especially with this type of issue, to be credible, to be a credible source of information, filling out an incident report after a game to say, yep, this is what I heard. This is how I would clarify it. How does the Big Ten put in a framework to say, yep, we can admit this incident report written and filed by an official as credible evidence, but make sure it's vetted in a way that, you know, make sure that officials don't essentially have free reign to potentially suspend a player for – no reason, because let's be real. People like to pay off other people, and if you influence one official, come playoff time, that can change a lot of things. Not saying it's going to happen. Not saying it has happened. Not saying it should happen. But that's just kind of how things have the potential to happen.
1: Uh, well, speaking of a rabbit hole that keeps getting deeper, my God. Um, yeah. <laughs> because uh, first of all, let's let's stay on topic here, because I I don't know that you're looking at the world the same way that it actually is. Yeah. Actually. I'm just, I'm just actually. trying trying, no, trying to put,
0: put myself in the shoes of the big 10 and saying, you know, I don't disagree with you at all. I believe that they definitely push this down the road, but is there some credibility to be said that they don't want to set a precedent that where a written incident report
1: can single-handedly decide a judgment call? So that's the thing, right? Is I don't know if they want to do that per se meaning i'm not sure if it's something that they've thought about and this is what they're trying to avoid i think the bigger issue is they like the nchc in a certain way is if they don't have to be the ones that are putting the hammer down they prefer that because again it's it's more of does it make it it's more of like okay this is going to be a really terrible example that's more of like, okay, if the parent has to step in, like, say your kids off being goofy, right? And say the school isn't handling it. If the parent has to step into what to say about the school kind of right. thing, right? right? So I think that is the framework they're using that is, okay, this is your player. You know, what's right. You know, what happened. Don't make us do it. Because if we have to do it it's not going to be just a player that yeah. gets in trouble then it's, there's going to be bigger consequences beyond that which i really think that's where the slippery slope is if the conference gets involved noah it is right. you know it's you're going to force us to investigate sort of things meaning push people time and money to try to verify these things right yeah. so if you make us do that and you, the coach, aren't gonna literally sit here and tell us that your player, when you're six feet behind him on the bench, did not hear that, then your butt's getting canned too. So that's how I see it. I think sure. that's the reality of the situation. Because at the end of it, we're in a society now that says we need to do the right thing, yeah. regardless if a mistake happens. And what's it's something that's so explicit, something that's the you know, in the nature that it was said, if an official hears it, and he write, like you said, he writes the incident report. Come on, we all know it happened. You don't get tossed out of a game for that because I misheard something or misheard some other kind of chirping between the benches. We know what we heard, right? right. So that's the thing. There's so much chatter, right? That, that sticks out like a sore thumb, unfortunately. So the way I see it is Ohio State needed to handle it. They did after they also punted it down the road a little bit because they were sort of – looking for the big 10 to take the lead before the big 10 said, Nope, this is your problem. Um, they acted accordingly, but again, there's still the unknown, which is, is this an indefinite suspension? Is it a term suspension? Is this an expulsion from the team altogether? We don't know. Um, so I guess the story yet has to be over has to be, you know, the final chapter has been written, but, um, that's really what this is coming down to is. The schools are being told by the conferences, this is your player. You know what you got to do. Take care of it, because if we do more than just a player is having a bad
0: yeah. day. I certainly would agree. Final question on that topic, very quickly, just uh, maybe as a as a course of personal opinion. If you're Ohio State, you send him home. Let's say, and like I said, he might already be off the team, but let's say he's not off the team. Let's say
1: he's in limbo right, right
0: now. Sure. What is what is the correct action for Ohio State in this situation?
1: So if you're going to assimilate a guy back, right? um, Let's talk about another issue that we have talked at length, the Mitchell Miller story, right? So I think to me, if you're going to introduce this player back in your team, you have to also say, okay, this person has gone through some sensitivity training or a few different things that says, okay, I have gone through these conferences or done community service, a, a combination of things that shows, okay, I now understood how hurtful those things were. I'm not going to do it again. Um, I think that's the sort of idea of reassimilating him back into the team would have to look like. Sure. Um, I don't think you could just bring him back and say, oh, he's served a four-game suspension and he's good to go. I don't think that that's good enough anymore, nor shouldn't it be, right? I think there has to be that additional step of going through um, some type of training. I know I mentioned sensitivity training, or I'm not sure that's what they call it, but something where, right. you know, you are essentially understanding, hey, you said what you said, but let's take this a little bit deeper. This is what this really means and how this actually hurts a lot of
0: people. Yeah. And here's a second chance if you're willing to
1: be a b- bigger person about this right. too. You it, know? And this is your only second chance. If this happens again, yeah. you know, you're not ever walking back to these doors again.
0: Certainly would agree. Well, let's talk about uh, other doors in college hockey. The NCHC, our last conference, Omaha and Denver—the only matchup uh, related to conference play. UNO, three to nothing victory on Friday night uh, for the Mavs, and then DU, a six-three response in night number two. I, uh, his Mavs team playing spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, slowly but surely here. We'll get a look at the standings here in just a few moments. North Dakota traveling to and then at home against Bemidji State, a 3-3 overtime tie in a game in which the Fighting Hawks really had to claw back in this one. They did. And then UND, a 4-2 victory in night number two uh northeastern western michigan was supposed to be at bridgestone arena it was moved because of a broken water main leak that also affected the predators game there was water all over the street it was streaming across the concourse um western michigan won six four, by the way <laughs> Yeah. but that was kind of a, on the afterburner considering bridgestone arena had it's pretty crazy issues on i believe sixth avenue whatever it was but sure. it was the second water main leak within a very short a period of time too um, so yeah, it was, if you get a chance to go on Twitter and check out Bridgestone arena in the water league, it certainly was crazy. And I feel bad for those players who were hopefully, uh, excited to play in a national hockey league rink, unfortunately. Um, Then, final one here, Michigan State traveling to Miami for some non-conference action. It was the Spartans, 5-3 and 4-0, kind of handily taking care of the Red Hawks. So the Spartans team is certainly rolling in the right direction. Let's get to some conference standings here after we look at what's on tap. Colorado College travels to Duluth this weekend. Western Michigan travels to Omaha. Arizona State travels to Denver. Miami is off. They have St. Cloud State next. Um, And St. Cloud will play host to North Dakota, which we'll preview in just a few moments however NCHC rankings Denver sits atop the standings again the only team to really buy any sort of separation at this point at six and two they're at 19 points Western Michigan in second with 12 Saint Cloud in third one point behind at 11. Omaha moving all the way up from seven to four uh they are now at nine points followed by Duluth and CC deadlocked at eight points apiece North Dakota in seventh at two three and one with seven points and Miami right behind them at one six and one with four points their lone victory coming against the Fighting Hawks. Uh, Nick, before we get to St. Cloud, let's take a quick quick little glance at some other conferences here. Um, Atlantic Hockey, first of all, RIT, Sacred Heart at 23 points, and American International at 17. AIC somehow is just not the team to beat anymore. And the other curious mm-hmm. thing is that uh, Air Force only has seven points and eight games played in the conference, which they had a pretty hot start to this season as far as contending with some teams. This Atlantic Hockey, which is usually an auto bid this season, has uh, provided some more intrigue as we approach their conference tournaments, Certainly, anything you wanted to add on them?
1: Uh, EIC has been successful largely because of their defensive structure and goaltending. Uh, it seems like this year that's not quite the case, and they're not the same. I mean, they're not the same teams we saw before because they're having to sort of try to play more offense, which they don't have, shall we say, the the biggest offensive punch that other teams have. Um, So it's been a little bit more of a rough go for AIC. Um, But at the end of the day, um, still not even halfway done with the season yet, Noah.
0: Yeah, certainly uh, is a very fair point. Let's move over to the ECAC. Really, there's only three teams that are kind of in the mix. I guess throw Colgate in there if you want, but really it's, quinnipiac at 18 points harvard one point behind at 17 and cornell has snuck up there at 12 points we'll have to see how they do but really it's a two horse race plus cornell as a bit of a long shot there uh so really this harvard team not a half bad hockey team though keeping pace with quinnipiac so certainly don't think they should have been as high in the pair wise as they were um but certainly are threatening within for sure the top 20 or 15 as of right now they are taking care of business all things considered uh Hockey East here, let's move over to them. This is where things get really interesting because you go all the way down to, gee, even UMass in some senses in in the number eight spot. I mean, Connecticut is first at 24. Northeastern at 22, who's having a quietly good season with Devin Levi on that. Mm-hmm. Providence at 20 points Merrimack at 18 that's your top four and then UMass Lowell BUBC UMass at 15 14 13 and 10 respectively with a couple of games in hand on the top two dogs um Hockey East is suddenly becoming a very difficult race to predict where I would say maybe anybody in the top five maybe six certainly has a shot here this year Nick they certainly
1: do um and this is where we've sort of seen Hockey East in the past when it's been good, um, whereas you kind of have a bunch of these teams that are, are jam-packed in there. Um, BC, Boston, uh, U, I would even throw UMS and They're going to have a tough hill to climb because, yeah. you know, they're in that 10 to 11-point deficit range. But, you know, things can change quick. We know that. Uh, UConn has been a team that, uh, as we've seen, has been up and down. Northeastern has been up and down providence merrimack we talked about how these teams keep showing us glimpses of really good stuff only to either the next night or the next weekend tell us the exact opposite story so it's still wide open again yeah. there's still a lot of hockey to be played and again it's it's roll the dice honestly at this point it might actually <laughs> make better yeah. or for what's it uh, the flip of the coin for yeah. is that uh which nfl team has been doing that the last couple was that uh Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, just, you know, might as well, because that that might have a – that might be more accurate. Who knows? Yeah.
0: um, Well, at least you're not the Vikings against the Cowboys. Boy, was that ugly. Good response this past week. Holy smokes. Um, But anyway, let's stay around the Midwestern region here. Uh, The CCHA, Michigan Tech tops at 18 points with two more games played than the second-place team. Excuse me, Minnesota State at 17. Bowling Green tied at 17 points with – two more games than the Mavs Uh, Northern Michigan at 13 points with two games in hand, maybe state only six games played for them. And they're um, only two points behind in 11 points. And St. Thomas actually has 10 points in 10 games. I would say, uh, Bemidji is kind of an outside looking in. Although if they go on a decent run in their next four games, they certainly can put themselves in the mix very quickly. So let's say top five yep. for now are still in the mix. I don't think St. Thomas really is. Um, and then Ferris and Lake Superior round out the eight team conference, but tech is certainly looking good. We talked about Minnesota yep. state bowling green is somehow still in the mix. They've had a really, uh, mountain and Valley type Seesaw. season. Yep. yep. Uh, Northern Michigan, um could use these next couple of games but the wildcats are certainly trending in the right direction and bemidji state has a chance to really uh, do some damage against st thomas this weekend and put themselves right back in the mix Uh, is there a team or two teams in the cca that you think that you can say yep i believe that they're going to be on top or at least in the top two or is this
1: one also a free-for-all it's still kind of a free-for-all um to me, I think Michigan Tech stays where it's at. I, I think they have the right mix um, together to pull it off. Again, I, we saw that this past weekend with some of the uh, the work that they put in. I'm still not, let's put it this way. I, I think Minnesota State can stay pat, um, but watch out for Bemidji State. I think that they still will rise to the occasion. Um, they're playing a slightly different brand of hockey. Um, they're averaging 34 and a half shots a game right now. Um, so they're really trying to turn, a, shall we say, more driver of offense and being opportunistic. Um, yeah. few, um, an old former St. Cloud coach might be at the hand of that. <coughs> Excuse me, Mike Gibbons. <laughs> um, but I think I think they could do it. I, I really think as the CCHA, as you mentioned, again, it's there's not really one team that's sort of, you know, taking it by the grasp. Um, so watch yeah. out for the Beavers. I think Michigan Tech is the team to beat. And in Minnesota State, I think they have enough in the offense and the defense to sort of at least band-aid their goaltending woes they yeah. had of recent. Um, but come term time, that's when, you know, maybe some exposure time might happen who knows
0: yeah i think bowling green has overachieved just a tad here right now i wonder if they'll come back down to earth but we'll have to see in the ccha second to last conference here um is the big 10 here uh minnesota tops at 18 points in eight games played every team has eight games played except for the bottom two uh michigan state one point behind at 17 the spartans team has had a good conference schedule to start off and state one more point behind at 16 i certainly believe i actually believe all three of these teams for sure the Gophers but I think Penn State and Michigan State could both be a top four team in this conference it's certainly possible I think Notre Dame has really slipped off there at five Ohio State is at four Mm -hmm. uh Michigan six points and six games played for them right now they're sitting at six out of seven um yeah this Wolverines team um their non-conference was all right, but, yeah, they've kind of slipped up in conference play. I mean, it's not out of the question for the Spartans and Penn State to be in the top four. I think I think whatever team joins them along with Minnesota in the top four is up for debate. I mean, OSU, Notre Dame, Michigan could all be in there. The only team that's definitely out of it for sure, for sure, is Wisconsin. Um, Gee, you don't say. Yeah. Gophers, <laughs> Gophers, Gophers are the team to beat, but who comes up right behind them? Nick, any idea?
1: Yeah. I want to, you know, it's, it's hard because Penn yeah. state has been sneaky. Good. Um, Michigan state to me is probably the next best team. Um, but you can't really count on Ohio state just yet. Um, the only big difference is, is their goals for their goal differentials. Uh, not great. We'll put it to you that way. So, um, yeah. They've kind of slipped at least from their early runs of the season. But to me, it's the Gophers, it's the Spartans, and the Nittany Lions, yes, that I think will be in yeah. the top three come the end of conference uh, conference play.
0: Yeah. And then let's go quickly through the independents. Technically, have a ranking. They don't really have a conference per se, but they are kind of in order. Arizona State topping the list, followed by Alaska Fairbanks. Um, yeah. Then Long Island, Lindenwood, Alaska Anchorage, Stonehill, although that Alaska Anchorage has some boost because of some pairwise victories that yes. has certainly helped them. Moving uh on over to a quick preview here, very briefly. Uh St. Cloud does have North Dakota this upcoming weekend uh, at Mm -hmm. the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. Pretty characteristic of that matchup in the first month of December. This North Dakota team has certainly showed some chinks in the armor, at least this season. Uh, Mm -hmm. How does St. Cloud get the job done? Do they get the job done? Is it a split? What what do we anticipate
1: here? I'm going to go bold. They're going to sweep them. I agree. I really do. Um, And it sounds bold because we know what North Dakota has been in the past. This is not the same North Dakota team. Um, this is a reason why then when we, when we had our season preview, Noah, that I wasn't as high in North Dakota as you were simply because of how young they are and they're yeah. showing their youth so far in this first half. Now the danger with a team coached by Brad Berry is at some point it's going to click. Um, and you certainly hope that it's not this weekend. I don't see that um, yeah. defensively. They're struggling. Uh, Offensively, they're hit or miss. And you can see the inconsistencies with the squad. I think St. Cloud um, is the more balanced, better team. Um, I think that they will give their youth, uh, both up front and um, on their defensive core, a lot of, uh, shall we say, hell. And I think it's going to be a St. Cloud suite this weekend. I would, I'm would. i 110% with you. I'm like
0: to a T for sure. I think the St. Cloud group has what it takes to get the job done this weekend and carry some big momentum into their final NCHC action afterwards in the following week before the holiday break uh quick quick glance here at the pairwise penn state minnesota quinnipiac st cloud denver are your top five i really don't have an issue with that quinnipiac a tad high but they've taken care of business Mm -hmm. bu michigan state at seven uh merrimack at eight harvard and then michigan is still stuck at 10 somehow for how difficult the wolverines conference play has been um uconn slipped all the way down to 11 after that loss to cornell umass western michigan is at 13 i I would imagine they would be higher although that should be higher that last that loss to the seawolves at the beginning of the year is going to come back to bite them for sure uh Providence at 14, Tech, and then UMass Lowell. Uh, the Mavericks of Minnesota State right behind on the outside looking in. Ohio State, Notre Dame, Cornell in your top 20. North Dakota at 22, followed by Arizona State behind them. And yep. then Omaha um, in your top 25. Um, Midi State's at 28. Wisconsin's still at 30. Um, <laughs> I don't know how that's even possible. But, yeah. Right um minnesota duluth all the victory against long island who now beat ohio state certainly helps them um yeah, it does minnesota duluth is at 32 right behind bc miami at 37 um color college at 45 which i think is a disservice to the way they played this season but that's whatever yeah alaska anchorage is down at at 60 of 62 so that Oof. western michigan team might be feeling the the after effects of that one unfortunately moving over to the women's side nick uh st cloud was back in action after having a week off uh they did get a sweep we'll get to them in just a few moments a very handy sweep by the way uh st thomas played mankato saturday sunday of last weekend three to one and two to nothing mankato cleared both of those games against the Tommies who have yet to win a game in conference play um, Minnesota traveling to Wisconsin last week on that Saturday Sunday matchup. It was the Gophers. If you remember in a shootout on the first night and then Wisconsin winning four to one in night number two, offering us zero clarity on <laughs> standings after that, of course, I, yep. uh, Colgate traveling Tuesday Wednesday non-conference to Ohio State University and the Buckeyes had to bring it to a shootout uh in a 5 to 4 game there and then winning 6 to 2 in night number 2. Bemidji State and Quinnipiac played on Friday, Quinnipiac winning 5 to nothing and then Bemidji State had Sacred Heart Saturday where the Beavers won 4 to 1. Penn State had Minnesota Friday. The Gophers won five to one that night, but then dropped Saturday's contest to number five Yale uh, four mm-hmm. to three um, in the national rankings on Saturday. St. Cloud? Last team to play, they had Lindenwood in Lindenwood, a 7-2 to victory in night number one and 4-2 to finish in night number two. Let's recap the scoring for you on Friday. Taylor Lynn from Tatum Geyer and Clara Himlerova in period number one, along with Yanina Newland unassisted in the opening frame to make it 2 nothing. Bailey Burton and Yanina Newland, both unassisted tallies to make it 4 nothing in period number two, besides a final marker for a 5 nothing lead at the end of period number two, a power play marker for McKenna-Weslow. Uh, assisted by Tatum Geyer and Olivia Savar. 6-0 was the score to start period number three. Taylor Lynn's second of the game uh from Reagan Bulger and Grace Wolf. And then yep. Lyndon Lindenwood two uh goals back to make it six to two before uh Svenja Voigt uh from Emma Gentry Volkes. and Voigt yeah um, yeah from Emma Gentry and Dale Ross uh at the very end of that game. It was with like but, a couple of seconds left maybe. So, um shots on goal 38 to 24 Saint Cloud State. Faceoffs 39 uh, for 62 for a 62.9% uh in the draw and then 1 for 3 on the power play, 6 for 6 perfect on the kill and Sonia Hola stopped 22 of 24. And Saturday's contest meant that Lindenwood struck first in period number one before the Huskies answered to make it 1-1 after 20, a power play goal from Nina Newland. Uh, Grace Wolf, Taylor Lynn tallying assists lindenwood a power play marker of their own to open the second period before clara Himlarova scored for anina newland and taylor lind once again a great weekend for all of them in period number two and then saint cloud took it home with two goals in period number three taylor Lind from avery myers and newland and then olivia savar from anina newland once again uh earning anina newland wcha forward of the week this past week much she, deserved yes. yeah she looked very good 32 29 were the shot saint cloud uh tallied in night number two they were 60.3 percent of the faceoff circle at 44 for 73 so a much better effort for them uh in the faceoff dot overall this weekend one for four on the power play um seven for eight on the kill though giving up a lot of power play opportunities a combined 14 this weekend uh and jojo choback stopped 27 of 29 uh nick this St. Cloud team, they didn't really need the weekend um, just simply because of the fact that it was non-conference, but it certainly was a confidence booster, and they took care of business, and they bolstered their non-conference schedule should they need it for whatever reason. Anita Newland, Taylor Lind, uh, what a fantastic weekend for them. We talked about those top-end players and the players that especially Taylor Lind has really turned into. This women's team, not a whole lot to say because they took care of business, but what you can say is, very positive.
1: Very positive, and the the big playmakers that we have seen over the years in Newland Taylor Lind uh, have shown up. Right, uh, yeah. you know these are the these are the girls that you want to see find the score sheet, get rewarded because they are the better players. Uh, Rova also adding uh, to the score sheet as well. So uh, fantastic, yeah. right? Uh, uh, the only. She-
0: she played defense, I believe, because uh, I think Tatum Geyer got hurt early in Saturday's contest, and she was mm-hmm. on the back end for most of the night and certainly looked good. Helped that the opponent was not as strong on paper, but certainly was very serviceable on the back end.
1: Yeah, and that's what a player like Claire Hemlorov, again, the former Olympian, um, can do is that she understands the game from multiple facets and she can fill in where needed. Um, she's a leader in that way, so uh, it doesn't surprise me that she could play that uh, and at least hold her own. And, Dare I say, add one, you know, add a point to the the score sheet, right? A goal, as you mentioned, the second period.
0: Yeah, certainly would agree. Uh, What's on tap? Ohio State travels to Duluth. Wisconsin is in Bemidji. Mankato travels to Minnesota and St. Thomas, a home and home with the St. Cloud State Huskies. They will be in St. Cloud Friday and in St. Thomas on Saturday. Standings-wise, Ohio State still uh, a healthy margin for them at 12-1-1. They're at 37 points. Minnesota improves to 29 points, have yet to lose in regulation this season. Wisconsin at 8-1-1, or that – That can't be right because the Huskies beat them in regulation. I don't know what I was looking at. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Wisconsin is in third at 25 points. Uh, Minnesota Duluth uh, in fourth at 16. Mankato right behind at 15. And then St. Cloud in sixth at 13. Of course, a couple of conference games going on there. Bemidji State well behind with three points. And St. Thomas yet to win in 10 appearances in conference play. Um, St. Cloud does have St. Thomas again this weekend. I think it's pretty safe to say, Nick, on paper, if they play the way that they are capable of playing, this should hopefully should be, be a fine. done, should be should a done be deal, fine. hopefully. Yep. Um, Moving on to the Minnesota Wild, our last topic in the main portion of the show, 9-9-2 and on the season, 20 points. They, uh, at least as of yesterday, have not updated this, but they were five points out of third in the Central and two points out of second in the Wild Card. If anything, it would have gotten worse
1: for them, not better. Um, it's gotten better. They're now ten ninety two twenty two uh, Colorado. So they're from third. They're three points out. Now, mind you, Colorado has two games in hand. I'm actually looking at it right now from the NHL website. Yeah. but The wild card uh, spot. That's going to be where things get a little bit goofy, right? So, since you mentioned it, uh, wild card for the Western Conference. The Wild currently sitting. What would you guess? Well, probably in the second wild card spot. Now, they are technically tied. With Edmonton and St. Louis with twenty-two points. However, because of the regulation push overtime wins, Edmonton and St. Louis both get the tiebreaker. They have eleven and ten respectively. Wild have nine, R yeah. ROWs, So they are sitting, uh, yeah. In so the so, third spot.
0: So, so they actually they actually didn't change. Um, they didn't change because kind of. every because every team actually. Tally points. So they're actually in the same spot as when we recorded it last because each team had a victory, <laughs> basically. So those two teams were still above them. Um, just point values change. I'm guessing the Wilds gold differential has changed now, though. Um, they should be at at zero. zero. Yep. They were dash one earlier. So they almost blew that lead against Arizona yesterday though. Um, They they
1: almost did. Yes.
0: Yeah. So past week, Winnipeg, a six to one victory, Toronto four to three loss, and then Arizona a four to three victory yesterday. They've got Edmonton this Thursday, Anaheim on Saturday, and then they're in Dallas on Sunday. So finishing up, the, the last two games of the homestand before heading, um, to visit the North stars. Um, um, anyway, I funny. Yeah. So notables, we'll talk about the Ryan Reese trade, but why don't we talk about, since we mentioned the schedule, why don't we talk about the Toronto game and specifically the net moorings coming off three times on Matt Murray's sign. Um, Michael Russo tweeted that the, somebody had tweeted at him that the net also came off one time on Mark Andre Fleury's and Russo said, no, it didn't actually 426 to period number three the moorings actually did come off on mark andre Fleury's end um i don't know if this was an ice issue coupled by some gamesmanship with matt murray on top of this um i'm not saying it it was it wasn't intentional it reminds me of the spencer knight situation with the huskies a couple years ago mm-hmm. um and if you're a goalie you use it to your advantage Wild certainly needed more help in that game as they were pressing late. But is this something that officials should start cracking down on more? How do you police this? Is it policeable? Is it possible? It was Was Matt Murray doing this intentionally, do you think? It, yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. Because, yeah, yeah well, <laughs> and the other th- maybe the other tweet that you missed from Michael Russo was that in the previous game, Matt Murray also had the net come off three separate times in a different arena. So there's a precedent there. Yeah, um,
0: I didn't miss it, it is, by the way. But no,
1: well, you didn't mention it, so <laughs> yeah, um, you you gave me an impression that you missed it. But here's well, what we did well, not miss. He, Hold he, on, he, he Hold just
0: on. he just had mentioned that he said explicitly that marc Andre Fleury didn't push the have the net come off its moorings in period three,
1: and it did happen. So okay, yeah. So is it is it enforceable? No. Yeah, it really isn't, and here's why I say that. How can you really sit there as an officiating crew and prove he did this with intention? Good yeah. luck. Good luck. Um, do the optics look like it is intentional? Of course. Um, but as the officiating crew, I would have it a very difficult time believing that they would be able to swing a disciplinary sword at this just because again, you, I just don't know how you could sit there to a goaltender and say, okay, I saw you extend the arm or like, you know, or extend the leg here and different parts of the game. You didn't, you did this one on purpose to take away scoring opportunity. Good luck with that. Um, cause you know that John Torella on the bench is going to have words with that. Um, it just, I don't know. I just don't know how you enforce that. I really don't. Is there, is there a way, and I know that
0: everybody plays goaltender a little different Is there a way, though, where you have somebody who's privy to what a natural motion for a goaltender is and notices? Like, for example, you mentioned, oh, I saw your leg or your arm push off. Is there a point where you could see it happening in a very unnatural situation for what a goaltender does? Is that ever a possibility for someone to be able to see that? The question
1: is, Noah, not that you notice it, is how can you prove it? Again, it's not that you are buying what you're selling. It's how do you sell what you're seeing and your judgment to only the player but also the team that's the argument and that's why you don't see this ever being enforced is because again how could you really convincingly tell that story to the team and the player that i can prove to you or i've seen you push off toward that post and purposely knock it off because of this and that it just does not seem that plausible
0: yeah, no, I don't disagree. I just you know, throwing it out there for people, uh, so we can kind of have a
1: discussion here. Uh no, right it. yeah. It's and again, it's 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 for, for folks who are saying, Nick, no, that's absolutely crazy. There's a course a way you can tell. I'm not saying that wait, that's there's no way you can tell. Again, the referee and your eyes and my eyes are all seeing the same thing. But yeah. again, if you're the referee, you're the disciplinarian. Your job is to show intent, right? It's. Yeah. It's how do you, different. how it's, do you,
0: it's, it's, how do you write it into a rule book? You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's yeah.
1: how, how do you make that, you know, as a disciplinary action hard to say, because again, is it, shall we say gamesmanship? hundred percent. It's gamesmanship. I think we both know what's happening. And when I say both, I mean myself and everybody else,
0: <laughs> including
1: right. the referee crew, they know what's happening too. So is the right way to have a discussion with the goaltender is the right way to pause. Is that was there an ice issue? I, I I've I've a hard time believing that it was an ice issue, um, especially since a precedent was set that this was happening in a different arena just a few nights earlier. Yeah. Um, I, I I personally think that there is intent from Matt Murray in doing it. Again, it's how from the other side of the coin, how can you call that action out when that same movement when that same push off from right to left is part of your natural movement as a goaltender. You're trying to seal the post. You're trying to do this and that. How do you differentiate one versus the other and be able to stand on two feet and defend that call? Yeah. Not a very easy one.
0: Certainly would agree. Uh, Ryan Reeves, let's defend this one or not defend it, depending on who you talk to. Uh, Ryan Reeves traded Ooh. for a 2025 fifth rounder. Um in fact, he played again the other night. I know he didn't have the greatest debut. I mean, he was dashed one and no. took a penalty on the other one, uh, the other play that led to uh, a goal against Toronto. But, you know, you look at you look at I want to see if it, I don't think he had a point, um, but I want to be 110% sure. Yeah, did not have a point. Uh, his last game against Arizona. He had one shot on goal, played just under 15 minutes, had 20 shifts. Um you know, people are kind of trying to justify this trade where, you know, Jordan Greenway finally returned to the lineup at, uh, here. We got Ryan Hartman out long-term. You wonder if they're just looking for some grid on the fourth line, especially with Marco Rossi now not occupying space, as we'll get to in just a few moments here. A lot of talk has been about how Ryan Reeves, is he's 35 now, doesn't move all that great. Um, we know who he is. We, Yeah. right. Um, I mean, let's, let's call it what it is. But we've talked a little bit about – character guys in that locker room and something that as of until recent, the Minnesota wild franchise has kind of lacked a little bit. Um, yep. and guys play a little bit taller and a little bit bigger when you have him and Marcus Felino standing side by side in some senses in that locker room. Is there a, a a case to be made to say that Ryan Reeves, you know, maybe doesn't bring a ton on the ice, but really having him as a locker room guy is as beneficial, if not more. Um, I certainly think a fifth rounder is an overpay, but at the same time, is this something that you think Bill Guerin and Dean Evison identified enough to say, hey, we need somebody that brings this energy, this spunk, this, you know, I'm going to stand up for you whenever type of thing. Is he a welcome addition in Minnesota that you think is going to pay dividends or do you think it's an experiment that's not going to last very long?
1: I have a different take on this. And it's, I'm surprised this take has not been out there more. I feel like this is insurance for Jordan Greenway. Yeah. And, and here's why I say that. He played one game, was out for a while, played another like what a couple of shifts was out for a while again. Yeah. I don't think he's fully healthy. Yeah. And by having a similar body who plays a similar game, albeit not nearly the offensive upside and not nearly the youth, but what I think this will allow the team to do, Noah, and we really think that they're looking at this from, is I think they're going to really try to be careful with Jordan Greenway. Yeah, um, that is my take on it. I think that the the grit thing, yeah, sure, there's something to that. The protection thing of players, sure, but Rossi's not here. Um, yes, you have Kaprizov, and there, he's been. <laughs> couple different times this season, uh, just asked Drew Doughty uh, yeah. of the LA Kings. Um, they have kind of picked on him a little bit. And if you're looking to be a playoff performing team, now Ryan Reeves has been a part of a lot of playoff teams because he can, can do some things, um, He, but he can be the physical presence. He can be a good net front presence. And more importantly, he can be that response guy. If Shay, your all-star player is getting targeted for lack of a better word. Um, but I really feel like this has more to do with Jordan Greenway than it does anything else. That's my way of looking at it um, because did I don't know if he rec- was Jordan Greenway on the ice against Arizona. I don't recall him being on the ice. Well, let's take a look right here. I thought I remember, but you know, that's the thing is we talked about Jordan Greenway, right?
0: And the problem with his injury is it seems very shoulder related, and sometimes shoulders yep. just don't heal well. Um, you Takes know, it's time. It it's kind of, or sometimes for some people. I mean, I had a guy who, uh, you know, was from my hometown that we played together. He ended up playing the USHL for the he Fargo was on Force. The ice. Okay, and uh, you know, you talk about I. Uh, um, yeah, he had 27 shifts actually. Um, so hopefully he's returning to form. But I mean, you talk about my former teammate. I mean, he had three dislocated shoulders on either side, and now he can hardly lift his arms above his head. Like some people's shoulders just don't return. They just don't return right. to form for whatever reason. Shoulders are bad. Backs are obviously potentially career-ending. And then ankles and knees. Um, they're yep. just real. And then hips. If you're a goaltender, they're just really difficult areas of the body that sometimes just don't come back to form. So I certainly agree. Like we mentioned, we talked about it uh, a little bit earlier is that Jordan Greenway was not hundred percent. Ryan Hartman, of course, out long-term here. This, if, mm-hmm. if anything is insurance should do, I think it should have been maybe a seventh rounder instead of a fifth. Sure. But at, at that point, a fifth rounder doesn't really, it's kind of like handing out candy on Halloween a little bit. It, they're kind of, collateral
1: at that oh, wait, point. No, Kaprizov was a fifth round pick, so the Minnesota Wild just lost this trade already by proxy. What are you Do- talking
0: diamond in the rough caprizov is the exception to the rule right uh you know and you know you know that very well you know you think about there are some great guys you know henrik lundqvist pavel Datsuk, uh guys like that wasn't that are,
1: Datsuk a sixth round pick
0: i think he was a fifth rounder i think um but that's the thing is like you you have guys who are in the later rounds that certainly have a chance but the percentage is not high and the development path has to be high too one of the things that you also have to think about is that you know if someone is a fifth round pick in a given year it doesn't necessarily mean that he's a bad hockey player i think Brayden Point for example which he could have been a Minnesota Wild player very easily um yeah well <laughs> it's 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 not necessarily that they're worse than anybody else it's depending on the players in front of them in the age Pavel
1: Datsuk was a 6th round yeah. 171st overall pick
0: so um so the thing is too is that when you have players who are in those lower rounds, it means that they might still be young and they haven't progressed to that point where they're NHL ready, but a team feels that they're going to get to that point. So the later round picks are guys that you identify a trait that they do exceptionally well. They might be an average player in every other facets, but they might shoot harder than anybody. They might have a natural goal scoring ability. They might be an otherworldly defender where their plus minus is plus 85 in a given season somehow. Like those are the things that you're trying to identify. Um, So yeah, Slight overpay, but again, it, it's probably not going to cost the Wild at that point. Um, what no? Um What is interesting for this Wild team, speaking of draft picks and our last topic in the main portion of the show, Marco Rossi officially headed to the minors for uh, some confidence boosting, so to speak, in the Iowa Wild. Um His former yep. junior coach, Alexander Trigney, who of course was tagged as the, the head coach for the Canada um, World Junior Team not too long ago he said not to worry and you know he'll reset himself he had a great preseason and kind of saved all of his points unfortunately for then i don't mind the move um i think rossi needs it i do think he'll be back in minnesota by the end of the season um i certainly think he has that ability i uh, just depends on how quickly he finds his game are, are you worried at all about marco rossi or do no. you think we're just kind of no. letting it letting it play out and we're gonna it's gonna be we're playing the long game here i've like i've seen people on twitter they're like we need to trade him he's dash four with one point <laughs> in 16 games i'm <laughs> like i'm like what are you people smoking like do you not know how hockey development yeah. works he's like 20.
1: <laughs> yeah just turned 21 actually yeah but, um he's young and if there's one thing about Marco Rossi that you can hang your head on, this is the sort of the let's put it this way: the story with him and the long COVID, right? With the, the heart condition and having to work through that. When Marco Rossi is pinned in a corner, if anything he showed that he says, Okay, if you're gonna tell me I can't do it, let me show you how I can. So mm-hmm. I think that the plan is to get him back to Minnesota. I think it'll be well before the end of the season, but you talk about player development in the opposite of Shane, Wright. Uh, You know, where a a player clearly has the skill. He clearly has the abilities right now to compete. Marco Rossi has the skills. He has not shown right. His ability to translate that to the NHL play confidently, basically. Right. Yeah. We talk about how you handle draft picks. And what the right move is, right? We're not talking about ice time. We're not. We're talking about a player that is young and needs to rebuild his game, rebuild his confidence. This is the correct move. You do not want to put them, them meaning Rossi, in a healthy scratch all the time. Um, we know that he works hard. We know that he's got the skill set, the Swiss Army knife. For some players of his caliber and has of his age, the light bulb this hasn't clicked yet. That links all of his skill sets to be a continuous on ice product yet. Right. Um, and for players, for people out there who are trying to trade this guy again, what the hell are you smoking? One uh, number two, if anybody went to work and had a couple of bad weeks and you got traded off, eh, it doesn't look so great. Right. Yeah. So, and at that professional level here, I think we all could sit here and agree that Michael Rossi will be a good player. This is, a needed more mental reset than it is anything else. Right. Sometimes, you know, you know, pro athletes in general, they're creatures of a mental, you know, it's a lot between the ears that is, has to be coached. And part of it is, is working through when times are tough, Rossi will get there. Uh, I think finding some success in the AHL will come to him with time. I don't think it's going to take him very long. And regardless of the wilds injury situation there's always going to be a spot for him ready when they feel like he's playing confidently you're bring him back up maybe if there's one change you put him maybe in a top top six role to maybe get some of those high quality players around him maybe you you try it then I don't know but this is the correct move for this player at this moment this is what he needs it's more of a mental reset it's not a what i think a lot of people look at it as this is not a a final stamp on what he doesn't have this is more of we know what you have go down there and bring it back up to speed again then we'll get you back up here
0: swiss army knife meet austrian army knife hopefully uh the wild can rebuild that toolbox uh and tim army uh Ironically enough, uh, building that up with the Iowa Wild, Boy, that was bad. Uh, And uh, hopefully get him back uh, to the big club in Minnesota. Well, speaking of big plays, anyway, we're going to head on to our extra ice session. Wrapping things up in the main portion of the show, we're going to talk about uh, the new wave that certainly somebody like John Tortorella would absolutely love. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session. Nick Maxon, alongside myself, Noah Grant here. Again, happy Thanksgiving to all of those who uh, had hopefully a wonderful holiday weekend here. We are just nearing the end of our show, and we are talking about uh, some uh, top-shelf plays, literally. Uh, the Michigan goal, the lacrosse-style goal, whatever you want to call it. Throw even the Trevor Zegers, uh connection uh, if you want to throw the, the over-the-net scooping as well, too. These skill plays, we saw another one from Logan Cooley, former Minot Minotauro forward, Wilmer Scoob, did it for BU a couple weeks ago again. That's his, like, second or third in collegiate play. Um, We're seeing it at the NHL level in certain spurts, obviously, too. Um, Speaking of the Toros, Chase Lapinta, who had one against North Iowa last month, tried it almost and almost pulled it off against Bismarck last weekend. And I talked to Chase when I was on the ice with him uh, during the All-Star Skills comp, and he and I said, you almost did it again. And he just kind of gave me a wry smile. It's become so routine for players to, to, to make the puck turn into a vertical object and play pucks in the air. We saw even the tic-tac-toe play with the Boston Bruins. I believe it was Patrice Bergeron uh, that batting a puck out of the air and then another player picking it up and then a backdoor tap in in that hockey game. You know, the skill development and the focus on skill development has changed for young hockey players. That, of course, is evident as we've gone through here, no matter what a guy like John Tortorella says. It is fun for the game of hockey here. But the way that players have made it so routine and they do it with speed so regularly here, I don't think the game of hockey is ever going to change back or change away from this style, Nick. I think goals like this and plays like this I think they're here to stay. I think this is the new wave of what we're going to see in the game of hockey where that play behind the net suddenly, which for those who don't know, a guy behind the net is generally not a threat. This is turned guys at any area of the ice into a legitimate threat. I mean, is this something that you think is the new way forward for some young hockey players that have a high end of skill to, to like add into their daily repertoire?
1: Ooh, I'm debating whether my old man syndrome should kick in.
0: Yeah. Um, And the reason I mentioned high end of skill is because I think where you're about to go is that you're going to say, why are you practicing that move if you can't do other things? You got to walk before you learn how to run, before you learn no, how to sprint kind
1: of thing? No. No, I, I think a couple of things you have right. This is here to stay. Um, and it's exciting because games evolve. Right, the way that you have to attack the opposition to try to give them a new thread to worry about. To you know, we all can think about the cross scene pass. We can talk about the low to high, the one timer from the point. It's stuff that we as hockey people know very well. Also, the players in the ice know that very well. Which means there's a lot of we talk about how hockey is an anticipatory sport, whereas you can anticipate where if a guy is going to button hook if he's one-on-one coming to the zone on the wing hand side, right? Uh, You can anticipate that North Dakota is going to come with three, four layers um, when they're carrying the puck in the zone with possession, right? Right. Where I'm going with this is that play is not something you generally anticipate. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about trying to be a step ahead or more so give them a new wrinkle, something that they don't expect, Especially when you combine that in an area of the ice, as you mentioned, that you're not expecting a high-level threat to come from. Oh, shit, right? So, you know, yeah. uh, you know it, it's a, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword on one side. It really is. But I, I think where the game also kind of gets fun is I want to see what the response is going to be yeah. on the defensive side, right? Because the, t- the, the film's out there, right? So do goaltenders... Then when Trevor Zegers is going behind the net, do they just not go in the butterfly? Because they do not want to just, they want to seal off that top um, post, right? Yeah. Do they, you know, so what's the trick? Or and are they going to start doing the Ron Hextall come on that and just like cross check them and <laughs> just bowl them? Like seriously, like Wait, and that's left. And
0: that's where one thing leads to another. Let's say yeah. the weak side defenseman is stepping down and he's like, well, I'm going to cut off this play. Well, if Zegris then floats the puck past that defenseman, that D-man just left the guy that he was covering wide open, net, wide open. you know, right. Like offense. We talk so much. I think it's funny about how we had the conversation, you know, with the reduction of goalie gear, for example, and the scoring in the NHL was down. And there was even the, the asinine talk about, Oh, we're going to make the nets bigger and stuff like that. And they talked about, you know, how can we increase scoring again? this new wave of players has done it almost naturally because they found new yeah. creative ways to score. And I think it's great for the game. And I think people, you know, I, don't get me wrong. I, as much as anybody else love a one, nothing or two, one low scoring affair, where it's a goaltenders duel and it's save after amazing save and a great defensive battle. But at the same time, There is something to be said for these games who are 6'5", 5'4", and Guy is going back and forth heavyweight action where each play is tic-tac-toe, beautiful setup, beautiful plays like this. I really wonder what the next trend is. When I was a kid, it was some kid in the QMJHL named Sidney Crosby who went between his legs to score a goal. And then Kyle Oposo did it for the Gophers. And then it got done at another level. Now it's the Michigan right kind of resurging and becoming an everyday play instead of this quirky, oh, we saw one finally this year. Now it's, oh, we saw – one yesterday when's the next one coming this week you know has Yami Kranil entered the chat you know what I mean like it's right it's becoming a routine play I wonder what the next creative play is going to be and I wonder why as you mentioned the old man brain I wonder why there's so much pushback against plays that we don't deem to be natural in our hockey brains so to speak
1: and I think that's where you thought it was going to go which is okay you have this skill set that normally doesn't translate to a positive on the score sheet. Um, yeah. I'll tell you what, if I tried that, I can't lift the puck like that at speed. Number two, um, I'll probably hurt somebody because my stick will be above, you know, my own face. Uh, yeah. Number three, it's probably a turnover and it's going the other way, right? I think that's where the old school brain is, is that this isn't hockey to them. Sean Tortorella, I know you're listening. I know that's what yeah. you think. It's um, not a high percentage play, as they would right. say. Yeah, Yeah, essentially. But the reality is, it's becoming a high percentage play because let's not think about it. Trevor Zegers, of all the times he scored that, he's been moving the entire time. Yeah. He hasn't been standing still where it is, his, you know, again, the number one rule in hockey, you got to keep your feet moving, right? So when he's picking up in stride and then all in one motion, kind of we talk about, you know, the catch and release, right? How Austin Matthews has almost like brought that to a new level. Trevor Zegers has brought... The lacrosse move or the Michigan to that new level, which is I'm literally just gonna escape. And then I put it up on my end, just go bang. And you have to be aware yeah. of that, right? Or you have to be aware that he also was a very smart hockey mind, which is he could fake it now, throw yeah. a puck, a great right back across, and you're thinking, oh crap, he's coming back for this. You overcommit. And now on my other side, of the Nets wide open. I kind of think that's where the next wave is gonna come from, is he's gonna start to fake that and then start to look for somebody back door. That's just me. It, heaven forbid he's offside, but. Heaven for, right. Um, <laughs> but like you said, I'm with you. This is the new wave of creative thinking to do something that we thought was unheard of or unattainable and turn it into something that is a high percentage play yeah. for him. He can do that. And we've seen it multiple times and how he's able to execute it. And again, what's going to be. It's And I love the analogy. It's the end of the bat barrel, right? Which is. Zegris has kind of got the top hand right now. How do teams try to combat that, try to get that upper hand again? You know, like you mentioned, does the weak side D come down? Um, Do they try to play him more physically Um, and maybe not in the most legal way, right? Sometimes hockey does that where you just go, oh, is a loose puck. I'm just going to take him out of the play because if I don't, he's going to pick this up. He's going to whip it right back in the top corner from behind the net. It's not fair. Um, It's interesting. Um,
0: So, and I'm. Oh, I just think like my final clarifying point, there's two sides of this because we also talk about, you know, you got to learn how to crawl before you can walk, before you can run. Don't be practicing this skill at the expense of your ice time to make sure that you are a good skater. You shoot the puck hard, you pass the puck. Well, those fundamental things that make up the other 98.5% of a hockey player. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. but when you have that high end level skill and you can pull it off, I think there are a lot of coaches who will say, you know, I don't want to encourage this because it forms bad habits or it forms, you know, not thinking about the game appropriately. And there is some truth to that in the sense that you don't want a kid trying Mm -hmm. it every time. But at the same time, I think if my lesson would be as a, as a young player and as a coach, encourage these players to try things within the bounds of being creative, but also make them understand there's a time and a place for it, right? Like you don't want to be doing it every time. You don't want to make it predictable. You want to still be playing the game the right way, you know, fundamentals, blah, blah, blah. But if you see an opening, if you if the moment is right, if you're behind the net and somebody's giving you space and you can pull it off with speed, or even if you can't pull it off, but you think you can almost can, and you give it a chance give it a and shot. yeah. Encourage that creativity and I think that that's where you talk about the old school mentality is kind of scary is that coaches aren't willing to even consider it. Now, don't let a player run free will with it and certainly make sure they're paying attention to other aspects of the game. But encourage that middle ground of creativity when the situation presents itself and then not only are you creating skill, you're creating hockey IQ to recognize when the situation is
1: appropriate you beat me to my next point right yeah. which is it's the hockey iq is that last piece of it right which is i've got this skill set i can do this at home i can do it every single time but again there's a time and a place to do it um and again when you when you can develop that extra iq and not just to know what one time it is but can you think about it two steps ahead right and right. that's what separates nhl players from say players like you or I, where, you know, I can come into the zone, I can look around and kind of see what's going on. And depending on who I'm playing with, I know what probably my options are. No NHL players, when they come into the zone and they have the puck on their stick and they know where exactly where they're going to be in the next three seconds. And they know exactly what they can and also cannot do with the puck. Right. So, right. And to be fair, Isn't that how Hockey IQ is developed, which is you give your young players a chance to try something and then you can go look back and as a coach, right? Isn't that your job to go, hey, so you tried this. What did you see on the ice? And they're going to give you an answer. You're not going to like the answer because you're like, okay, you probably caused a turnover. You did a Thomas Mannick button hook backhand sauce to the blue line and it got picked, right? Well, I saw this and okay, well, you turned your back to the play. So this is why it didn't work, right? This is how I can we do it better. You're going to push the defenseman back further, button hook. Don't just do it blindly. you got to look for somebody. You can't just do it blindly, right? So then you can improve on that. And then, like right. I said, then the player's thinking about not just that they see it or they think they see it. They know they see it, and they know that this is a situation where I have that opening, I'm going behind the net, the puck's on end. Um, there's a mad scramble on front. There's chaos. I can pick this thing up with stride put it on my blade and then flip it over uh, the goaltender who will not at all anticipate that. And that's that next level of hockey IQ that you're talking about
0: certainly would agree well here's some high iq things for you the huskies warming house podcast will approach episode number 140 this upcoming week here and we First. are excited to <laughs> sure um we're excited to bring it all to you as always as of course you can tell nick's enthusiasm is here once again find him on twitter at nick Maxon pxp find myself at scsu hockey 91 for nick maxson i'm noah grant and we will see you soon in the den One-timer, come in, they
1: score! Ripped in! A bomb from yeah. So Dana Rasmussen fires, and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies, no. a long shot. Dwayne Kaprizov, in for a chance to win! Now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.